Let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And inspired by St. Ignatius of Loyola's counsel and the spiritual exercises, in this prayer, we are going to ask the Lord for a specific grace. And so there on that handout, to make this our own prayer. Jesus, reveal what specific grace you desire to bestow upon me this Advent. I'm going to invite you, just take a half a minute. You can just kind of vocalize that silently. Make that your own prayer. So we're going to ask the Lord and be receptive to what he reveals. Jesus, reveal what specific grace you desire to bestow upon me today and during this Advent season. And we'll continue our prayer with uh, a hymn that we're familiar with, the first and seventh stanzas. O come, O come, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're familiar with this very specific Advent hymn. So what is this hymn describing? What is this? The coming of Christ. Yeah, well, let's start with, it's just a prayer, right? It's in the form of a prayer. It's a dialogue. So if it's a prayer, well, first, who is the prayer directed to? Jesus, and who is the prayer being made by? 
historically and then also in a, a greater universal way. Yeah, the Israelites, and that's, we make that our prayer as well. And we're praying for him to do what? Yeah. To come and save us. Indeed. <clears throat> so during Advent, as we await Christmas and the manger scene, we want to just kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture of what the Lord has already done in human history and what he's already currently doing in our lives. We want to ask a threefold question as it pertains to Jesus. Who is he? Why is he important? And what did he come to do? <clears throat> so who is Jesus? So it's an identity question. If you were to ask Jesus, who is he? Well, the title he uses most often in the Gospels is he refers to himself as the Son of Man. If you were to ask his father, what would the father say about who he is? The beloved son. You are, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is the unique son of the father. So that's who he is. We go by his name through the incarnation. Jesus, it comes from the Aramaic Yeshua. Does anyone know what that means in Aramaic or Hebrew? Yeah, God saves. And so in the Israelite Jewish culture, a name reveals an identity. It's not by chance. And an identity also orients us towards our mission. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So who, who is Jesus, right? We've established he's the son of the father. He is God saves. Why is he important? Let's, let's ask the question in this way. <clears throat> How is Jesus different from every other founder of every religion? He's God. He's God, and they're not. That's why he's important. When you're God, you're important, to say the least. So what he does and what he has to say, everything is of monumental importance. And what did he come to do, right? As we said in our hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. He's come to ransom those who are captured or to save us. You know, we know this language of being saved. But the thing is, you know, Father John Ricardo, he points this out. We're so good as a church of using churchy language that nobody really understands. So this is why he says we need to explain what this means, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, in no other context do we use the word being saved. And if, uh, if we really know what it means, we'll be able to explain it like to an eight-year-old, for instance. <clears throat> so we might say he, Father John Ricardo, he uses the word rescue, and we'll talk a lot about this notion. So he's come for a rescue mission to rescue us really from three things, from sin, from eternal death, a.k.a. hell, and Satan. 
Father John Ricardo says, you know, when we look at a manger scene, right, we see this baby and often we're like, what does that have to do with my life? And why is it so significant to us? And so he says, we should ask the question, when we look at that manger scene of the child Jesus, we should ask, why is he here? Why did he come? He came to save us, but in order to save us, he's got to fight. So he likes that. He says, he came to fight. So as you heard last Sunday, every parish in our archdiocese, in theory, should be doing this. A four-part homily series for each Sunday of Advent on the Kerygma. Now, why are we doing this? And Father Brian did a really good job talking about this. Well, we're dedicating four Sundays, which is quite an investment if you think about it. It's because as Catholic Christians, if we're honest, we really don't know the basics of our own story. I think it's safe to say it's kind of um, a caricature, but I think it has some truth to it. Catholics are probably the Christians who know scripture and our story the least. The gospel message is not some ancient, esoteric, impertinent story, but it's my story, it's your story, it's our family story. This is why the biblical narrative is so important. When we talk about salvation history, this is our story. And so this is why we all need to know it. And when we fail to know our own story, we actually lose our identity and we fail to know who we are. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> when Nazi Germany resolved to, for instance, destroy the nation of Poland, among other nations, do you know what strategy they employed to go about practically in destroying the nation of Poland. It's the culture. They knew that the key was to destroy the culture. If you destroy the culture, if you destroy the customs, the traditions, the language, you are going to destroy the history. And once you disassociate the people from their history, they no longer know who they are. And so this is why, if you know, <clears throat> John Paul II, right, he had the underground uh, theater because he knew as an intellectual how important it was to preserve the culture of the people. As long as the people knew the culture, they would stay alive, they would know who they are, right? It's woven into our fabric, and that tells the history of the people. Now let's look at our beloved nation. Judging by the tens of millions of Catholics in our country who have fallen away from the faith, how effective has the present secular culture and its toxic ideologies been in separating Catholics, us, from the biblical story, our story, of who God is, of who we are, of where we come from, where we're headed, and how will we get there? pose that question to you. Does it have anything to do with the fact that perhaps we've disassociated ourselves or we're just not very familiar with our story? Have we lost our identity? <clears throat> so in short, that's the reason why we're doing this. 
This is why we're taking four Sundays to review our family story. Again, Father John Ricardo, he talks about this. He says, what does an effective teacher do at the beginning of every school year? We review the material we learned from the previous year. And it would be a very good investment, even if you were to take a couple weeks to review the previous material covered, so you know what we've done, go back to the basics, the fundamentals, in order to then go forward. So likewise, Father John Ricardo says that this is what we should be doing in our faith as Catholics. So this is the reason why he proposes that priests, together as a church, we review the, the basics, the fundamentals of our story to invest, and we should do this every single year. On a similar note, many of us are probably very familiar with Dr. Mike Schirschlich, Dr. Troy Hinkle, they're great mentors of mine since 2005. I think the world of them, they're extraordinary for uh, Holy Family School of Faith. Did you know that they have read the Catechism of the Catholic Church every year for the last 30 years, both of them? Do you think it's because they don't know certain things about the catechism, they need to do this every single year? There's a reason why they commit to doing this cover to cover every single year for the last 30 years since it last came out. Since it came out. It's because we need to review the fundamentals of the faith, just as John Wooden, right? would tell his players, right, these elite basketball players, what do they win, like 11 championships in 13 years, something, something crazy like that. But you start with the basics, you start with the fundamentals. So if some of this or a lot of this seems like review for us, well good, we also want to be able to interiorize something in the moment and process it in real time in such a way, not only do I know this or I'm familiar with the content as a pupil, as a student, but also as an instructor so that I already have the capacity to be able to communicate this in my sphere of influence, those I interact with. What I notice increasingly in our culture is we've got a lot of knowledge, but it's not really been translated into wisdom. And we've got big heads or these big engines, but little emotional intelligence or how it relates to our life or actually living it out. <clears throat> so to recap, when we refer to the kerygma, it comes from the Greek, uh, and it means what? Does anyone know what it means in Greek? Proclamation. Proclamation. So proclamation, and as, it, as related to Jesus, it refers to the central message of the gospel. So if we're asking the question, what is the kerygma? It would be like asking the question, what is the essential message of the gospel. <clears throat> so Father John Ricardo and his missionary team, Acts 29, I'm actually wearing their team shirts, they have distilled the kerygma into four salient moments 
in salvation history. That which encompasses salvation history, they've been able to distill it into four unique moments, also translated into four words. Isn't that pretty extraordinary? Our Protestant brothers often are so good at doing this, of distilling the essential message of the gospel in bite-sized pieces, in a way that's accessible for us. And they likewise do the same. So these four words, you may have heard of it, created, captured, rescued, and response. You can think of the acronym CCRR, created, captured, rescued, response. Now, for starters, it's good to know that and to commit that to memory, but it does us no good if we just throw those four words out to someone and be like, yeah, and love Jesus now, right? <laughs> so we need to be able to interiorize this in such a way that I would be able to coherently explain these four words like in a minute and a basic proclamation of the gospel message. And if you wanted to further distill these four words into one unique concept, it would be rescue mission. That's why he came. Why did Jesus come? Why all this? What did he come to do? The answer is a rescue mission. We wrote these two down. Luke 1, 68. It is John the Baptist's father's prayer, Zechariah. If anyone prays the liturgy of the hours regularly, the, the Benedictus. Why did Jesus come? The response we find in scripture. He has come to his people and set them free. A rescue mission. Or the words we prayed with in our hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You, you hear the yearning in the prayer of Israel and ransom captive Israel. Translation, rescue mission. Jesus came to save us or to rescue us. Now, I think we're much more familiar with the rescue, being rescued or a rescue mission more so than being saved because we don't really use being saved in any other context. So let's break it down. What three elements are implied in a rescue mission? Just think about a rescue mission. Are we talking about a scenario where uh, everything is just perfect, where we're just safe and secure, or is there a certain difficulty we're experiencing in a scenario of a need for a rescue mission, right? So first and foremost, a rescue mission implies danger. There's a threat. That's the first thing that anything, any rescue mission implies. There is some danger. The second, that there's, because there's a danger, there's someone who needs to be rescued from that danger, right? Someone who needs to be rescued. The third is obviously the one who is doing the rescuing. Really simple notion, right? So why did he come to, why 
did he come to rescue us? Again, we find the answer in St. Paul, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Sounds like really obvious, but that we might be free. Not that we might be enslaved, but that's the reason. That's the whole reason. So if, if you consider that that's the entire reason that Jesus came. If you're familiar with St. Thomas Aquinas and his uh, Summa Theologica, he talks about the exitus and the reditus of God the Son, right? If you see like this circular mission, you think about uh, mission planet Earth, God the Father sends the eternal Son to take flesh, goes to planet Earth for 33-ish years, and then he returns back to the Father, triumphant, in the ascension, exitus reditus, it's like the circular movement. Now he goes through all of this trouble of taking on a human flesh <clears throat> so that we might be free. So how important is that freedom that he won for us? Monumentally important, right? Would you not think that it would be worthwhile for us to understand precisely what is the freedom that he won for us? So what is that freedom? What is it? What is authentic freedom and what it isn't? So freedom, authentic freedom is not license. That's basically what our culture tends to think, right? License is the ability to just do whatever I want to do. But that's not real freedom. It's like... Um, on a violin, I'm free to make some really terrible noises with a bow, but I'm not actually free to play a violin the way it's meant to be played. So authentic freedom is knowing, doing what you ought to do, knowing the purpose and the finality and the ability to fulfill it. So it is worthwhile to understand what freedom is and what freedom isn't, authentic notion of freedom. And then furthermore, Jesus comes to offer in rescuing us on this rescue mission, he comes and he offers us this gift. He offers it to everyone without exclusion. However, whether it's received, it's a choice. It depends on us. So we need to develop a capacity to learn how to receive well, because there are other alternatives. We can reject the gift, we can grasp after the gift. None of those fulfill being able to receive it. We're meant to receive the gift of freedom he offers. With that, we will conclude our first session here, and I'm going to invite us to take two minutes in prayer, personal prayer. Feel free to write anything down that we want to take to prayer, anything that we want to bring to our small groups.